0: You're listening to the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast. You can keep up to date with all the latest updates by following Thoroughly Good on Twitter, Thoroughly Good Me on Facebook and Thoroughly underscore good on Instagram. My name is John Jacob and this is episode number 120. Regular listeners... More commonly known as subscribers, will know by now that I have a habit of being a little tardy on delivering against deadlines. If you're familiar with Gretchen Rubin's book, The Four Tendencies, you may well by now have a hunch that this is evidence of me being a rebel. You'd be right, I'm hopeless with deadlines, unless, of course, you You provide me with information that helps me understand what the consequences will be if I don't deliver on what's expected of me. That's how to deal with a rebel. This podcast interview was first mooted in February of 2021. It was recorded on the 19th of March and published a shameful two months later. I'm nothing if not transparent. I think there's strength in being transparent. There is what's known in the trade, an editorial dividend to this apparent slackness. Rather than seeing this as a series of missed deadlines, I invite you instead to see it as an opportunity to highlight discovery. This exchange with Director of Choral Music and College Organist at Royal Holloway, Rupert Goff, captures my response to discovering the unfamiliar jazz-infused music of Ravel and Pierre Villette. There are times when I've listened back to this and thought that some might possibly think I was drunk, such is my uncontrollable enthusiasm about harmonic progression. I can confirm, however, that I've never had an alcoholic drink in my own home before the hour of 5pm on a weekday. This interview was recorded on a Thursday and at 11 minutes past 3 in the afternoon. Really, truly, I was just ridiculously excited.
1: Well, my backdrop, of course, is the is the chapel at Royal Holloway, which is quite a a spectacular vision um, with its gilded ceiling. Um, But uh, as I've been auditioning choral Scholars online this morning, it seemed like an appropriate background. Um, What can I see out of my window? Um, Well, fortunately, lots of trees because uh, I I live in um, in Surrey, just on the edge of Bracknell Forest. And in fact, my, my partner is out walking the dog as we speak in the in the sunshine because we're lucky that you can just walk out of the back of the garden and straight into some wonderful woodland.
0: Oh, what a fantastic place to be, <clears throat> given given the situation that we still find ourselves in. Have you been to the chapel recently?
1: Oh yes, yesterday we had an even song in the chapel yesterday. The the choir's been back um, uh, over the last couple of weeks, and uh, yeah, after a three month break of. of of not singing, but I, have worked them pretty hard and we, we've created, you know, a safe environment for them to work. Um, and, uh, and yes, yeah, so we had even song yesterday. We did a bit of recording on Wednesday. Um, and, uh, we'll be doing some more recording next week before they go for Easter.
0: It's quite interesting, actually, having uh, having that kind of visual prompt because normally it's you know the questions that arise from this situation in a Zoom interview are, oh, what have you got on your bookshelves? Hmm, that's really interesting. But uh, the the image makes me eagerly ask you, you know, what is it like to sort of work and make music to create there because it is such a spectacular sight that I wonder whether it would just be, either one becomes very familiar to it and almost not notice it, uh, or, it or it somehow informs performance. I wonder whether it informs performance.
1: Yeah, I think it probably, probably does. I mean, I, I've done this job now for 15 years and I still, every time I walk into the chapel, you know, I, I notice it. Um, it, it. It slightly takes your breath away every, every time. And it has a lovely acoustic and, and um, not not too washy, you know, we can actually work in detail in there, but it, it also makes things sound good. Um, unfortunately, because we're very close to Heathrow Airport, uh, we're quite close to the A30. It, it means we, we can't really do any commercial recording in there, which is which is such a shame. We We have it rigged um for for sound and actually we were really the first place actually to to rig our chapel with an hd television system so we we were well set up for the pandemic already
2: um
1: because we we've been uh live streaming concerts and and services for years now um but um that's our, our our working environment we're also very lucky actually that right next to the chapel um is an amazing picture gallery and uh it's it's the same size as the chapel but just a sort of empty space with pictures on the wall and and that's a great space to to work and rehearse in as well um sadly it's as of this term been turned into an asymm- asymmetric covid testing center right so, um, <laughs> so rather than rehearsing in there we have to you know get swabbed and tested every <laughs> Twice
0: exactly, a that's the process that you have to go through. So, you know, when, when you come together, you're having to do the same regular testing as, say, a TV production company or.
1: At the moment, it's, twi- it's twice a week testing for everybody. Wow. Yeah.
0: Wow. Have you become. I mean, I've not had a test, so I don't know what, what's involved. I imagine that it's a little unpleasant, but one becomes accustomed to
1: it. You get used to yeah, sticking things up your nose and down your throat. And, uh... That's what it is,
0: is it? Yeah. Um, Okay. Uh, and everybody self-tests? I mean, I don't want to get into the details, but everybody <laughs> self-tests or there's somebody there who's doing it? And, and no, that.
1: they... <clears throat> I mean, they make you physically do the test yourself and you hand it over and and usually within half an hour you you get the result, actually. So... Did you, did you imagine...
0: Um, did you imagine this time last year when this had started that you would be doing this this year?
1: No. No. And, and the thing is that... Um, Obviously like everybody else you know we had so many concerts and things in the diary which would suddenly cancel postponed but including quite a lot of recordings we were due to do about another four recordings over the next following six months or so 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 they've been postponed but I mean some of those have been postponed several times now because we kept thinking well surely we'll be back doing doing this at that point or um and only in the last few weeks, I just had to postpone another one, which we were hoping we might have been able to do at the end of April. But we just pushed it back to June. It's just just more sensible. Well, uh, June
0: isn't quite so far <laughs> to wait, is it really? I mean, on the basis that that things will sort of be back to normal in June then it's not quite as far to wait. What I find utterly ridiculous uh, to imagine is that this time last year, as we entered into this, I was certainly thinking, oh, it's fine, you know. I believe the government; it will be over by July, uh, and it's not been in any way. But, but mm. aside from that, well, I talk about that a lot of the time. I should probably find another subject. Um, the, the, the album, the album that we're talking about today, uh, by a composer I had no idea about, Pierre Villette. Is that right?
1: Villette. Ooh.
0: Put this to my music teacher, who I'm friends with on Facebook, who's a choir conductor, and he got very excited about it. Uh, and he said that there needs to be more attention given to this composer because not he's not widely known. Mm. Um, tell me, uh, tell me about what appeals to you about Villette.
1: Oh, the the, the lovely harmonies. Um, he was uh, an organ student of of um, Maurice Durufle, and. Um, as an organist, like all organists, we all, you know, love his his organ music, but also, of course, his choral music. I mean, there wasn't very much because he was a bit of a perfectionist, but there is a wonderful Requiem, uh, of course, and uh, Pierre Villette. He sort of uh, has part of that uh, Durufle style, and also the influences of, of, of Ravel and, and others before him. But he's he was also a lover of jazz. And so he's not afraid to use some uh, more extended harmonies and, and jazz chords, basically. Um, so it makes it quite a quite an exotic sound in places. I, um, I
0: wonder whether actually thinking about it, just hearing you talk about that, because he was an organist, I get the impression that you're an organ. I mean, you must be an organist too i don't know why i'm saying you must be but if you're conducting a choir then i imagine that you are i wondered whether there was something about being an i may not explain this very well but something about being an organist and wanting and sort of receiving this challenge of building as complex and and uh, emotive chords as you possibly can because as you sit at the organ you have all of these potential instruments and textures in front of you. So I wonder whether there's something about being an organist that raises the challenge to create the most, you know, <laughs> gut-wrenching harmony. Do you, do you understand what I mean? Is there a
1: connection there? I, I understand what you mean. Actually, interestingly, I found the reverse problem here because this mass that we've recorded, uh, he wrote as an orchestral mass. And, uh, and it was performed in 19... 19- 70 and then pretty much disappeared and and i came across this a couple of years ago um and got permission to to make an organ arrangement because it seemed to me that this piece was definitely going to have a, a future life if it could be accompanied by organ so i had the challenge of trying to to get these orchestral parts into the organ and i mean yeah the, these chords these these chords that he writes i mean have more notes than we have fingers so uh, and feet, I would add as an organ. <laughs> so, um, uh, the 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 organ part that I've created that's that's now published um, with this is is quite a challenging play, actually, and and that's why actually for the for this recording, rather than using one of our organ scholars, um, I I turn to a former pupil of mine. So uh, the
0: que- so the question still, sorry, you were about okay. to say who the who the pupil was, and and actually that to deny that that organist's name would be awful. Who is the organist's (laughs) name?
1: (laughs) Andrew Mm Dewar. Hurrah,
0: we've got that in. Um, I I wonder whether, still the question remains, if if in the process of transcribing something as an organist yourself, in the process of transcribing from orchestral to organ, is there a bit of you that sort of thinks, I want to make this as difficult as possible, (laughs) uh, or is it, I've got to make it as realistic as possible? I suppose Mm. that's the basis of the question, is do organists want things to be really difficult so that they can impress when they're sat at this massive sound producing machine?
1: Surely everybody would like something to sound more difficult than it is to play.
0: (laughs) I see what you're doing. (laughs) (laughs) You're very good at this. You've clearly done a number of interviews, haven't you? Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether I, I mean, just doing this, I'm not sure that I would want to make this seem more complicated than it is. I mean, no, I'm putting that back to you. I'm pushing back.
1: <laughs> One of the best bits of advice I had from a teacher uh, many years ago was, you know, don't don't make anything more complicated than it needs to be to have the effect that you want. So are organists indulged in, uh, engaged
0: in smoke and mirrors? Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, I mean, some of my colleagues do, do write things that sound very complicated and, and are complicated. So surely the challenge is to try and make something that sounds complicated, but isn't, you know, so difficult that you make it less likely to be taken up by other people.
0: Fair enough, yes. Composers want things to be played so that they can be paid. I get point. Well, there's
1: that uh, as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you recorded this when? Uh, In the summer of 19, that really, really um, hot spell that we had in that summer, if you remember. um, We took the choir to Paris to make this recording. Uh, And it was, um, what was it? I think in in the organ loft, uh, it was over 30 degrees. And I think after the first night of recording, the weather broke. But because, you know, the church is made of stone, that stone, it just retains the heat. So it just actually continued to get hotter um, in, inside the church. You were inside a massive radiator, that's what you're Basically, saying. Basically, yes.
2: <laughs>
1: uh, and how did you
0: how did you all cope with that? I mean, did that have any impact on, on the recording or, or is it just, it
1: was just deeply uncomfortable? Um, uh, well, it... Well, it was lovely to be able to uh, enjoy the joy Paris uh, and outdoor dining and whatever when we weren't recording. Uh, my, I mean, my organist said it was it was a, a real struggle. I mean, it, playing the organ is physically demanding, and if you're in a really high temperature, it's it's a it's a bit unpleasant. But at the end of the day, fundamentally, my students just absolutely loved going to Paris to make a recording for a few days and. Um, I mean the reason behind that was because I really wanted to be able to record it sort of authentically french music in a with with a fantastic french organ because it makes such a different sound to anything that we have in this country.
0: What are the differences then f- that somebody like me might hear in a french organ as opposed to a british organ?
1: <laughs> I'm trying to get too geeky about no, much. But...
0: <laughs> I need detail, really. That's why I've, I've given you the question.
1: There's um there's a, a there was a French organ builder uh, towards the end of the 19th century uh, who is a sort of uh, the holy grail of organ building um, for organists um, called Cavaille Col. and um, he produced a great many instruments uh, across France to sound orchestral, symphonic, if, if if we like, but it's a very different sound to this country. The 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 reeds that you hear, sort of the, the trumpet sounds, uh, they have so much more energy and punch and character than than the the sort of more Rolls Royce British um, organ sound, which is very smooth and, and and refined. I mean, it's it's just much more fiery. And exciting. So, is there a, is
0: there a crispiness? Is there a, so I'm I'm immediately thinking of sort of that 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 crisp reed sound that you hear in a church organ. That is that a, a sign of something other than a British organ? Uh,
1: yes, I mean the Gloria of this Mass opens with it's almost like a sort of organ organ fanfare, and and that punchy pungent sound that that you get from this instrument is is not something that we we generally hear in in this country. But the other thing that, that I really love um, about it is that almost whatever sound the organ makes, whether it's really loud or really soft, it just fills the building. Um, and that's partly the wonderful acoustics, but it's also the the organ. So there's a real sense um, on the recording and, and when we were there, that all the sound from the organ is just enveloping the choir all the time. And it, it's wonderful. You're just kind of bathing in this... In this rich- uh,
0: for you, for you musically, does that have? I mean, I'm imagining that, and I can, uh, I can remember singing in choirs and that that experience of sort of blending in with this the sound that is surrounding you. Uh, and I can feel quite emotional just imagine, yeah, thinking of that. I'm wondering what impact that has on performance and on emotions within performance.
1: Yeah, you certainly f- you feel it, and um, all my. All my students. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, some of them are organists, but m- the majority of them are, aren't. But they immediately appreciated why they why they were there and what was special about this organ um, that they could really really hear that. And it was interesting because it, uh, the church we recorded in is a, is a classic um, French church where the organ is on a gallery at the back, it's very high up. But we recorded the the choir at the other end, so we're a long way away from the organ. Wow. Um, but even then, we the, the choir are still bathed in this in this in this sound. Obviously, it's it's the challenge of the organist and the and the record engineer to, to get everything to sound exactly together.
0: It is, um, it is a very reassuring sound and I'm um, I'm touched by that because of the situation. You know, I am uh, nearly a year on. I am now sick of talking to people. As, as lovely as it is to talk to you in this way, sir, and the chances are we wouldn't have had this interview had it not have been for Zoom. I am now sick of talking to people on Zoom and I want to be in the same physical space. Uh, and I suspect that part of that uh, has contributed to sort of listening to the texture of the sound and, and, and the way... It sort of hints at that enveloping uh, quality that I found incredibly reassuring uh, and comforting at this moment in time. There was something which um, uh, this is inevitable, I suspect, having done a little bit of research. But I listen for—I have a, an odd listening strategy, which is I listen whilst doing something else first, hmm. and then I listen in a focused way, and then I, if I particularly like the thing, then I go and listen on a on a big system. We go downstairs. Um, and the thing that really spoke to me almost immediately and nearly pinned me to the wall was him, Alavierge. Shine light in on magic. What is going on in there? Well,
1: there's there's a there's a sequence of of basically jazz chords. Um, uh, you're putting me on the spot now. I am. I'm sorry.
0: I'm sorry. Just because it's 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 a it's a key sort of um, for me. It's a oh, it just it's so immediate and it's so Hmm. um, utterly utterly gorgeous and so unexpected. And then I think when you've when you've heard it the first time, this is the weird thing about really good writing for me. When you've heard it the first time, you think, "Oh, well, that joy will be lost because you've heard it already and you're familiar with it." But actually, when you start hearing it over and over and over again, as I have, then you start going, oh, oh, "Yes, I wait here. I wait here. Um, uh Is is that? Um, representative of his style of his yeah i mean do you see that a lot in in his other works
1: yes so then we find it in in the mass and there are a number of places where he again he sets up basically a a, a jazz harmony chord and then runs it in a parallel sequence um there's also um the end of the sanctus and the, and the benedictus where we have the 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 Hosanna movement and he creates this extraordinary effect of asking for an echo choir um, to sing from the other end of the of the building. And um, one of those bits that you hear so this sort of echo coming back is an absolute um, jazz chord where you, you you have the the major third in the, in the chord, and you also have the minor third or what we might call the blue note <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of of that chord, and at the same it, time, yes.
0: Oh you <laughs> see just actually <laughs> hearing it. I never really imagined that this would this would be possible and I know people talk uh, complain that, that sort of classical music fans talk about detail far too much, but actually the idea that you would combine those two things is like both naughty and really gorgeous. Um, but where I mean I know it comes from a I know it's a jazz influence, but do you? And I may be reading too much into this. Do you think that that is um, a reflection of him, or or, or a, an element of his personality? Was he sort of, was he playful? Was he um, rebellious? I don't know. It, is it possible to read that kind of thing into his composition um, style? Do you suppose?
1: No, I mean I know that 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 uh, he went to jazz concerts uh, in in Paris. Um, and uh, I think we're talking about the sort of late, 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 40s here and was definitely influenced by by what he heard. Um, what I don't know is whether he actually played jazz piano himself. Um, but there's 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 definitely a sort of naughty element of just what can you get? A, a, yeah. okay with. I mean, the, the Benedictus um, has to be the most sort of outrageous, harmonically outrageous um, Benedictus setting I i know this is with a soprano solo um over the top of of the choir and and the choir already got really really rather lush harmonies but the soprano then just finds some you know notes that sit outrageously against some of those chords and it's almost at the end of that movement as if he just doesn't want to to finish he just keeps finding another interesting effect that he can Throw in another really good chord.
0: <laughs> is it musically uh, as a as a music director? Is it really tempting to milk those kind of moments? I mean, one has to be one has to be conscious of the context of this music, but but within that, I wonder whether there's a conflict with oh my god, we really need to string this out, but then you have to pull it back in. Do you see what I mean? Is there I a conflict?
1: Think, I do. and I think a lot of it is written in the music already, but. I, I am conscious when you when you record something and you know it could be listened to a number of times that you have to be careful not to overstep the mark. <laughs> somebody there with a the clipboard saying you've overstepped
0: the mark. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, why do you suppose I think I know the answer to this, because I think this is a, uh, another composer I've discovered in a long line of people who led different lives in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, but why do you think that we don't know so much about uh,
1: Pierre Villette? Well, uh, in France, uh, it's the, the culture is all centred on Paris. And once he took that decision to, to move away from Paris, I think he was just... Um, Removed from the musical scene and and became somewhat forgotten. I mean, he moved away for, for health reasons. Um, he uh, he ended up having a, a had to have many operations on his lungs. He had a lung removed. Um, quite didn't... young, actually. <laughs> yes, yeah. Quite young. Um, still didn't stop him. Didn't stop him smoking. But there we go. Um, but he was advised to take the air in the Alps, and um, and and so he he spent a few years there, which is where the, you know, the Vierge was written and a few other pieces that we recorded, um, but then moved further south and also went into education, I mean, running um, music conservatoires. So composition became a sideline at that point. So he, he became largely forgotten in France and sort of rediscovered in this country uh, by Donald Hunt, uh, who was at Worcester Cathedral as um, organist, and incorporated some of his music into the Three Choirs Festival. So pieces like Imel of Vierge became popular. It was also, um, it appeared in one of the King's College um, carol services one year. Right, okay. Too. So people became more aware of, of his music, uh, but, not, but not this mass.
0: Uh, and presumably within within the choral tradition, uh, choral singing tradition, he is a well known name. He is now, yes, right, okay, and that's because of the three choirs and uh,
1: uh, Donald Hunt and and your contribution too. And um, and Polyphony, Stephen Layton and Polyphony made a recording of his choral music. Uh, again, not 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 the Mass, but there's a, there's a number of other choral works. What
0: drew you to the mass then? Because obviously your work on this is, is um,
1: transcribing
0: or arranging for organ. I'm never quite sure.
1: It's a, There's a bit of both on this project because what I discovered uh, when I heard about this mass uh, and looked at it was that the composer had written a, a keyboard reduction, or there's a score with a keyboard reduction in it. <clears throat> and, and looking at that further, it seemed clear that he'd written some of it, Probably twenty years earlier with an organ in mind and then probably come back to it and recast the whole thing with with orchestra so um, the, the these keyboard reductions were were not really playable on the organ or frankly even the piano um, so the whole thing needed rearranging a bit of transcription from the from the orchestral score but
0: what was, what was the trigger for you then what why why did you think I want to do this
1: well I went to France at um, the end of 2018, uh, went down to Toulouse, and I was particularly interested then, actually, in recording specifically the music by the other composer on this CD, Yves Castagne, mm-hmm. uh one of the organists at, at Notre Dame. Um, but I wasn't sure what else to put on, on this disc. Um, and I went down to Toulouse because I was looking at possibly recording down there and, and it was just by chance um, a, a, a colleague had, had put a page of a Villette Mass, another, another work on, on, the, on Facebook, I think it was. And I saw this, oh, hang on, that looks interesting. Immediately contacted the, the publisher from, from France and got to look at the score. And the moment I looked at the score, I, I could hear it in my head how it would work beautifully with, with the organ. Um, and it just seemed crazy that this piece had sat there and nobody had ever done anything with it. When it was, you, you know, it just seems like an obvious partner to something like the Dufay Requiem. Uh,
0: from a storytelling point of view, uh, I I'm always fascinated about those moments when people connect with or connect with an undiscovered or rediscovered work. That's sort of why I'm I was asking a question about that, and um, uh, I I can get quite quite obsessed about that. Um, what did you obviously you heard the music when you saw it, but what was the what was the emotional response that that
1: you felt when you first saw it? Oh, it's a bit like you just described you know you, you, uh, a lot of it on the page just looking at it. You know, I could, I could, I could see the quality of it, but then I'd sit at the piano and and these chords would go, oh, oh."
0: (laughs) (laughs) okay, yeah, fine. So I'm not. What you're telling me is that I'm not a freak. That this is quite a common. Oh no, no, absolutely. Oh really? Is that? (laughs) Oh yeah. And that's. I suppose that 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 takes me back to that first question. That sort of that reaction when you hear these really complex chords is. Have you just dreamt this up, or did you sort of come at this and go right? I know I'm going to put that there, and I'm going to put this here, so that when they play that chord, that is—I mean, that is—that—that that isn't by accident. That—that that is by design, in order to elicit that kind of response.
1: But it's also it's it's how it comes in the in the context as well, and um, you know, just just the the very opening Kyrie. Actually, it starts really quite simply and and fairly straightforward harmony and 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 then you just suddenly start to get the oh god that's a wonderful transition into a different key and (laughs) um and a really rich scoring um and, and that's the beauty of it i think is just the way the thing really unfolds and and there's something magical around the corner all the time
0: Where does somebody like you go or who does somebody like you go to when you've made a discovery like that? I mean, I know when I see a fantastic picture or fantastic video on the Internet that I wish I had edited together. I go to my partner and go, would you look at this? This is amazing. Uh, But I wonder whether musicians don't necessarily have, you know, someone else to go to. So maybe it's quite a lonely experience to discover those kind of
1: those joys. Um. Well, my 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 fiance is a is a harpist and 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 therefore a lover of French Romantic music. Is oh, all right,
0: okay. She's um, going to understand chords.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, she also sings uh, in my professional choir at St Bart's in 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 London. So she's always. You know keen to say, Oh, that sounds good. Can I, yeah, can right, I right, sing along? Right, yeah, <laughs> I just, just,
0: just suddenly suddenly thought that you know, wouldn't it be awful if one was living with somebody who just didn't get chords? <laughs> <You> just go. <laughs> is <Isn't> this amazing? <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell me that I haven't asked you, Mr. Goff, sir?
1: Oh, uh, in, in relation to the recording,
0: yes, ideally. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um it
0: always stumps people, it
1: always stumps people. Yes, because well, we, 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 we've touched upon a, a few good, interesting things there. I suppose, um, I mean, you're talking about people's reaction to the, to the music, and what I, what I really loved about it was that the, the first time I put the, the new score in front of my choir in, in London, and they started singing through it, was the, just the look of joy on their faces. That they had exactly the same sort of reaction. Oh, god, that's good. Oh. Um, <laughs> I think it's, it's even more intense when
0: you're you're doing it in the same physical space with other people around you.
1: Yeah, and also because because for this I decided to um, take the the, the Revelle, um Pervin, the Volent enfant de font and uh, and to arrange that as a as a choral, and organ piece, and and again I got the same reaction from the choir. So, um, what they all tell me is that this was the most enjoyable recording they've ever been involved with because they just loved. I mean, never mind the fact they went to Paris, but they just, <laughs> they loved the music and they never tired of, of singing it. And, um, and there's many a recording session we've had where people do get tired of the music quite quickly. <laughs> um, that,
0: that is some comp- compositional art though, actually quite apart from eliciting that emotional response that that you can create something that people never tire of singing is is very special.
1: Yeah, and and therefore I think you hear the, the joy in the in the voices when you listen to it. Uh, you can you can tell they they love it, um, and and the microphone doesn't lie in that respect.
0: Uh, thank you very much indeed. I've really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I, I love doing this. Uh, <laughs> cause, you know, you can just, you can just dig in, uh, and then you can just go away. <laughs> which is what I'm going to do now.